Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to Progress After Dark. It's good to have you with us here on Channel 127. Our number for the next three hours is 866-997-4748. We'd love to have you join the Love Fest. That is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. All night long, we're going to be sitting around with people a lot smarter and more moral than me to dissect all the gaslighting, all the disinformation, all the rank fuckery and double talk and jive that they can throw at you. And there's a lot today, folks. So strap yourselves in. It's going to be a fun show. 866-997-GRIT is our number. Professor Corey Brettschneider will be with us again tonight. He of Brown University and the New York Times. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court. Of course, because that never sleeps. Uh, also, though, with Corey, we're going to talk a bit about Donald Trump being back on Facebook. What happened to the Facebook Supreme Court ruling? Dr. Jason Nichols will be joining us later on this evening to talk about the, uh, well, what's going on in Memphis, to talk about uh, Ruben Gallego challenging Kirsten Cinema and the suddenly very crowded Democratic field for a California Senate seat that isn't officially going to be vacant yet, but most likely will be. Chris Hauselt's our executive producer. He is running this thing from the uh, South Carolina Bureau. And I am coming to you tonight, as I have all week, from Hollywood. And it's great to be out here. Uh, coming up on the show uh, on Monday, we're going to be joined by one of our good friends, one of the funniest performers in the history of Saturday Night Live, someone who's got her own hit sitcom now on NBC. This has been picked up for a second season, the wonderful Anna Gasteyer. And then, um, Chris, when is Timothy B. Schmidt of the Eagles joining us? We, we did the interview. When is that airing? When are we going to be able to bring that? That's a really good one, too. We got some good ones in the can here. That's a great question. I'm glad I came to Hollywood to chase down Eagles. Um, it could also air possibly Monday. Maybe, we'll, you know. I don't know. Yeah, we'll air we'll it know. tomorrow. How, I don't, how are you, Chris? There's my boss right to, there. How are you, sir? I, you know, I decide what we air and when using an old deal meal wallet that I got from my Richard Simmons days. So Very nice. I'm glad you have a system. Yeah. You know how I got hired here? They have a similar system. They they said, uh, they, they said uh, hey, let, let the chimp throw the dart. 
and yeah. uh, and and the chimp threw it and it landed on my headshot, and that's how I got yeah. this show. So yeah. uh, you know, yeah. We, in, in the office, we called here. we called that pin the tail on the honky. There you go. So. <laughs> it's going to be a fun night. It's going to be all right, and we're so glad you're with us for the night shift. Now, uh, let's do a show. I don't even know where to begin. Let's talk about array and disarray, shall we? You're used to hearing Dems in disarray from a lazy media class that likes alliteration. Well, where to begin with the Republican Party, uh, considering the Democrats are kind of able to walk and chew gum mentally at the same time, at least this week. Ronna McDaniel. You know Ronna McDaniel. Her middle name used to be Romney until she decided Donald Trump's love was more important than the family name. She has believed for months that she is going to easily coast to a fourth term as chair of the RNC. She said back in November, more than 100 of the committee's members were supporting her. There's 168. So, you know, I went to public school, but I, I, I think that's the majority. Now, I know we're going to talk about the RNC for just a minute. And I'm sorry, y'all are nice people. You don't deserve to hear about these miscreants. And I, I, I do apologize. It's, it's uh, last week we had to talk about Nick Fuentes and you don't deserve to hear about that child man or man child. I'm not sure still if Nick Fuentes is a, a very large child or a very small man. But you, you, anyway, so anyway, so Ron has been thinking it's all hers. She was completely loyal to Trump. And after doing so such a great job in 2018's election and 2020's election and 2022's election. I mean, when you fail that much, why shouldn't they let you keep the job? This is Republicans. But there's been a surprise bit of momentum from challenger Harmeet Dillon, who's a California lawyer and who got endorsed today by Florida Governor Rhonda Santos. And now things are a bit shaken up. Rhonda said, I think we need a change. I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. DeSantis is the only real potential Republican challenger to Donald Trump. And if Donald Trump doesn't run or decides not to run or drops out of the race, it is DeSantis's to blow. So there you see the battle lines are being drawn. What's going to happen? Ronna McDaniel has been very confident that this party is hers. And Donald Trump has been very confident that this party is his. The party establishment wants to be Ron DeSantis's party. And the split is only going to get deeper. Oh, and you know who else is running? Again, for, for RNC chair, my favorite pick, the person who's most qualified, Mike Lindell, the my pillow salesman. He's running for chairmanship of the RNC, but nobody at the RNC knows why he's doing it or who's backing him. Now, I, I love Mike Lindell. I'm a, I'm a fan of TV comedy. And one time when he was a toddler, my child called him petulant. Lindell, of course, is... Um, you know, a winged monkey of the host of Celebrity Apprentice and one of the top boosters of Trump's lies about the 2020 election. He has been publicly endorsed by one of the committee's 168 voting members. Ronna McDaniel says she's got the endorsement over over 100. Mike Lindell told Vice News that he was qualified to appear on the ballot, which a couple of RNC members said they'd confirmed with the committee. So at least two members from three states have signed the paperwork saying, OK, yeah, let this crackpot run. Uh, Lindell won't say who supports him. He told Vice, I wouldn't tell you that in a million years. What, so you could go attack them? I'm not stupid. You guys must really think I'm dumb. I'm going to win. Oh, it's beautiful. Why can't that man have the job? He deserves to be in charge of winning elections for the Republican Party, don't you think? You know, I, I got to tell you, I don't have a my pillow, but you know what helps me sleep really deeply at night? Imagining Mike Lindell being questioned while under oath. Now, again, Ronna McDaniel is the heavy favorite in this race, and we'll see what happens. They're going to have it at the end of the RNC's three-day winter meetings 
in Dana Point, California. But you know what's interesting? Uh, this is a good fact to point out. Um, Republicans have done badly in three straight elections. No, they've done really badly in three state elections. And yet, Ronna McDaniel has decided to triple her salary during this time. It's up to $400,000 a year now. Since the time she was handpicked for the job by Trump, Ronna McDaniel has decided to take all those donations and triple her own salary one time for each election the GOP suffered a crushing humiliation in. And now she wants a fourth two-year term. Other Republican senators are very apathetic about her. Again, she's handpicked by Donald Trump. Jay McCauley Mac Brown, the chairman of the GOP of Kentucky, said, this isn't 2016. People have moved on. New Rasmussen poll has results on who the Republicans like for the RNC chair. You ready? (laughs) This is who Republican voters in a Rasmussen poll like to run the RNC, to be in charge of elections for Republicans. Harmy Dillon, 20%. Ronna McDaniel, going for her fourth term with the most support, 15%. Mike Lindell, Admitted crackhead, serial liar, and my pillow impresario? 30%. The Republicans want the my pillow guy to be in charge of their elections. Whew. Just this one time, I wish they could believe in democracy. He deserves it as much as George Santos deserves to be the face of this party. Now, the one RNC member who's publicly endorsed Lindell, it turns out, is Louisiana RNC committee woman Lenar Whitney, who also claims that the election in 2020 was stolen from Trump. You got to remember, Mike. Lindell is the one who went to the White House a few days after the January 6th Capitol riot to tell Trump he should declare martial law. His notes were caught on camera. The guy who sells pillows, the crackhead who sells pillows, went to our White House and told the reality show racist clown to declare martial law. Can you imagine if on the day Barry Goldwater and the Republican leadership went to the White House and told Nixon it was time for him to go? What if Nixon had called them snowflakes and chosen to listen to the My Pillow guy? It would have been horrible for planet Earth, but boy, it would have been entertaining. Now, the New York Times called and they emailed and they texted all 168 RNC members. And only four, only four say they support Trump for president in 2024. Let me repeat that. It's just a little bit relevant. The New York Times reached out to all 168 members of the RNC and only four would endorse Donald Trump for president. Twenty said he should not run. 35 said they would like to see a big primary field, you know, and the rest did not answer. (laughs) Some RNC members estimated in interviews that between 120 and 140 of them preferred someone besides Donald Trump to be their party's presidential nominee. Can you imagine what's going to happen if all the establishment doesn't want Trump back because they know how toxic he is? But the low-information voting base they have spent decades using Rupert Murdoch's media empire to cultivate doesn't care what the Republican Party thinks because they don't care about the ideology. They don't care about the party. They care about their clique. It's a cult of selfishness, and they will never confuse you when you understand. The party, the cult, is a cult of selfishness, and each individual member is acting out of selfishness. When you consider that, everything they do, and I do mean everything— Makes perfect sense. Why, wait, Kevin McCarthy now likes Marjorie Taylor Greene and, 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 and Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert are objecting to McCarthy, but they, they don't have anyone real to replace. No, it's all for themselves. Mike Lindell is the choice of Republican Party voters. Mike Lindell paid one million bucks to settle a false advertising suit because he lied on TV that a freaking pillow 
could treat fibromyalgia, restless leg syndrome, sleep apnea, cerebral palsy, and acid reflux before the Better Business Bureau revoked his accreditation and gave him an F. So in the midst of all this disarray, (laughs) it gets worse. Because maybe you heard Attorney General William Barr, who uh, my old friend Bill Maher was quite kissy-faced with the other night. Did you happen to catch that? Well, remember way back, way back in 2019, he decided to dig into uh, the theory that the Russian investigation was just a conspiracy by intelligence or law enforcement. And that since all of the claims that somehow Trump was being supported by Russia, despite the fact that they were all documented, was a hoax. So he hired this prosecutor, John Durham, to investigate the investigators and later gave him special counsel status. So after Trump left office, John Durham could keep on investigating everyone who investigated Trump and report into Merrick Garland. And after four years, four years of this, which is way longer than the Russia investigation itself ever went, after four years, John Durham's fake investigation that you paid for is coming to an end without anything. No deep state plot, Nothing Donald Trump said, nothing Bill Barr said. John Durham just kept cashing checks and doing nothing. He was a legal bridge to nowhere paid for by you and me. Oh, not just the gullible ones who wanted him hired. We all paid for this performative bit of nothing. John Durham used Russian intel memos that were suspected by other U.S. officials of having disinformation to get access to emails of an assistant of George Soros. George Soros, the, the philanthropist billionaire who escaped the Nazis and has spent decades fighting communism. George Soros really hates communism, but the right wing hates him. That's why they call him a globalist so far. Well, they, he, he tried to use this investigation to go after George Soros. He used grand jury powers to keep pursuing these emails, even after a judge twice smacked him down and rejected his request for access. And by the way, the emails had no evidence. <laughs> So Barr and Durham never, ever disclosed to the public that their inquiry expanded in the fall of 2019 based on a tip from Italian government officials who told them that there were some very suspicious financial dealings related to Donald Trump. The only thing they uncovered in their investigation was more Trump corruption, and they chose to not pursue it. I I don't know what to say about Merrick Garland at this point. Because Merrick Garland's been sitting there for two years having this guy report into him. He, he, we have to assume he's known all along that this has been a sham. And he seems to have done a very good job of coddling everyone involved. You know, if you have three Democrats that are all running for the same potentially open Senate seat, you, you, I'm just saying you could always let Adam Schiff be attorney general. Yeah, you're just putting it out. So Bill Barr pressured Durham to make the Russia investigation look bad, right? And he pressured Durham's office to go after Hillary Clinton, and then he cashed in on a book deal instead of actually coming out and calling bullshit on Trump while he was still in office. And now you've got a congressional committee about the weaponization of the federal government. My friends, it was Barr. It was Durham. That's the weaponization of the federal government. And I'm sure the House Republican Committee can't wait to investigate Barr and Durham. The Russian investigation was not a witch hunt, but the investigation to prove it was a witch hunt was a witch hunt. Glenn Kirshner, our good friend who's on the show next week, said the Bill Barr orchestrated John Durham investigation of the investigators failed again today. It's time to put this actual witch hunt to bed. And yet Durham and Barr are still around. Will Merrick Garland go after them for wasting your time and money? I mean, isn't this criminal here? Our tax dollars paid for what essentially was a a limited Fox News hype miniseries. And then John Eastman, of course, he and Rudy Giuliani conspired with Trump to try to overturn the election. 
because Republicans care about law and order. Well, the chief counsel of California's bar now says they're going to seek John Eastman's disbarment. There is nothing more sacrosanct to our American democracy than free and fair elections and the peaceful transfer of power. Eastman must be held accountable. So you're following this? Donald Trump's lawyer, his head lawyer, is going to be disbarred. Donald Trump's special investigator to investigate the investigations is folding up shop, having done nothing. And the RNC has got two Donald Trump flunkies fighting it out, while the guy who can't wait to take Donald Trump's place is trying to throw his weight around to get somebody new and undermine Trump yet again. And on top of all of this, Reverend Franklin Graham, one of the most significant fake Christian supporters of Donald Trump's campaign and presidency. And boy, howdy, is Franklin Graham what we call one motherfucking fake ass Christian. He wouldn't know the Nazarene if he found him and had him deported to Juarez. He's decided he's going to stay out of the 2024 Republican presidential primary. Yeah, he's not going to endorse anyone. He said it was an easy decision. A lot of other evangelical leaders are uh, not chomping at the bit to endorse Donald Trump either. No word yet how Jerry Falwell Jr. is going to come down. <laughs> so while the GOP is in all this disarray, uh, the U.S. economy expanded at a 2.9% annualized rate in the fourth quarter of last year, defying predictions of another slowdown. People kept spending. Companies kept hiring. The GOP grew at a 2.1% pace and, according to the Times, shaked off negative growth in the first half of the year, even in the face of rapid interest rate hikes by a Federal Reserve. What this means is inflation is leaving. It's leaving slowly, but it's leaving. Here's Joe Biden speaking this morning on some very non-recession economic news. We got some very good news about the American economy. Every three months, the economic outlook of America is laid out on an official report, a government report, that uh, on the state of the economy. It came out today, this morning, and I'm not sure, and I mean it sincerely, the news could have been any better. Economic growth is up, stronger than experts expected, at 2.9 percent we're growing. <laughs> jobs. Jobs are the highest in American number and the highest in American history. And wages are up. And they're growing faster than inflation. Over the past six months, inflation has gone down every month, and God willing, will continue to do that. Manufacturing jobs continue to go up stronger than any time in the last 40 years. And I don't think it's unfair to say that this is all evidence that the Biden economic plan, because you all, is actually working. It's working. If only the media covers this kind of stuff. Now, again, it's going to be a rough year, potentially, for the president. There's going to be a lot of landmines. The 2024 election is all over the place. We're expecting a recession to come. The GOP is going to try and throw the entire country into default. But, you know, Biden came out and he targeted the bad fiscal policy. And this is Biden's greatest strength to me throughout his career. Even when he's on the ropes, Biden's a really smart campaigner because what he does is draw a contrast between what he wants to do and what the other guy wants to do. If you ever get a chance, go back and watch his debate in 2012 against Paul Ryan. It's kind of a masterpiece. And here you see Joe Biden queuing up to do this. He's targeting the bad fiscal policy of the current congressional GOP. You know, this ain't your father's Republican Party. This is a different breed of cat, as they say. You know, it's hard as it is to believe they want to pass legislation to do the following things. I've been saying this. No one believed it until I start to introduce this stuff. They want to raise your gas prices. They want to cut taxes for billionaires who pay virtually only 3% of their income now. 3% they pay. You know, a, a babysitter pays more than that. 
And we, they want to impose a third. This one I love. They want to impose a 30 percent national sales tax on everything from food, clothing, school supplies, housing, cars, a whole deal. 30 percent. So. That's good news. You want us a little bit more? A little bit more before we get to the phones? Well, remember a couple of weeks ago when the special election in the great state of Virginia was won and the Democrats controlled the legislature and they promised they would protect women's reproductive rights? Well, from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, bills limiting abortion access defeated in Virginia Senate committee. That's right. The Senate Education and Health Committee yesterday formally defeated three bills. That would have banned most abortions in the state. This likely ends the fight for any kind of restrictions on abortion in this legislative session because people showed up and voted on the state and local level. Oh, what, oh, so this is, just got some news in. Uh, Mike Lindell has said that uh, if he does not win the election to run the RNC, he will accept the results. Well, that's good. I'm glad there's one kind of election result he'll believe. Professor Corey Bretschneider will be joining us in just a moment, and we'll be taking more of your calls at 866-997-4748. Man, we're just getting warmed up. Don't go away. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. So for a long time, uh, social media sites have operated under two crucial beliefs. One is that uh, the platforms have the power to decide what kind of content to keep online and what to take down. Government doesn't interfere. It's a private company. It's a private service. No government oversight there. The second belief, the second tenet of social media sites has been that the websites shouldn't be held legally responsible for most of what people post online, which helps protect the companies from lawsuits about libel and extreme content and, of course, violent harm that could come because of something someone posted on their platforms. Well, okay, that worked for a while, but now the Supreme Court is on the verge of reconsidering those rules and could possibly bring the most significant reset of those beliefs governing online speech, well, uh, since we first began having regulations for the web in the 1990s. Professor Corey Brechneider is the man with the PhD in politics from Princeton, the law degree from Stanford, and he uses them to enrich students' lives in the poli-sci department at Brown University. You should own his book, The Oath in the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. He also is the author of Penguin Liberty series books on free speech, impeachment, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's notable cases. Professor Brechneider, welcome back to SiriusXM. Uh, thanks, John. I'm uh, really excited to talk to you about these cases. You know, often we're uh, dealing with issues that I think are pretty cut and dry and 
And on this one, it's a little more complicated. So, so well, I want to get into it because for a, for a long time, you know, when I hear people talking about censorship on Twitter, I'm like, no, the government doesn't have the power. The government can't censor you on Twitter. A private corporation can kick you off of their free online platform if you break their rules. That's just <laughs> pro-business, pro-capitalism. But it seems like that argument might be on the endangered species list. Yeah, I think it's really all up for grabs. And in some ways, there's something to be said for it, you know, and you hinted at this in your intro. When Section 230 was first proposed, the Internet was in its infancy, and there was really this social media site certainly were in their infancy. And and I think the idea was common sense. So you want this stuff to thrive. If you start allowing for lawsuits against the companies, they're just not going to be able to continue. And so it was this sort of idea of, you know, an early technology and, and helping it to, to develop. But I don't think we're at that time in any way now. These are the most powerful companies in the world. They're getting more powerful. And there has to be a way, I think, for citizens to be able to stop them. So, so now the question is, though, how do we do that? How do we allow citizens some power to sue these companies when they've really acted in a horrendous way. And I think two of the cases that the courts already agreed to hear are like that. I mean, it's really, you know, where, where the companies just did nothing to stop uh, violent speech that, that, that looks like it really did incite violence. So I'm all for the idea, just as a first principle, that we should have some limits on what these companies can do. But, and this is a huge but, what are we going to do about these other cases? So two cases deal with that and basically terrorism that was stoked by the companies. And I can say more about that. But basically the charges that the algorithms encouraged the viewing of these violent videos and that led directly to violence. So I think that sounds sensible to me to allow these lawsuits to go through. But but and this is yeah, when you put it that way. Too. Sure. What hmm? about what do you do about these other crazy laws, which are. Florida and Texas's attempts to basically guarantee that the extreme right has a place exactly as you say on these private sites that seems to me to be out of control so that's yeah. what we've got to figure out you know as a society like how do we allow some sensible lawsuits in the extreme cases when people have been killed in some cases or another area is revenge porn, for instance, to, to right. allow these companies to be sued when they do nothing about it, and yet right. not allow the crazies in Florida and, and, te and Texas who are trying to basically guarantee the extreme right a place on social media through the law to, to get away with it. So, so that's but my I mean, opening frame. You know, I, I think... No, absolutely. But I think I think most people, I think most Americans of any political background would agree, you know, if, if someone posts something, uh, posts revenge porn, say, on social yeah. media, um, then it is the responsibility and fault of the person who did the posting. But you're right. I think we would all agree if complaints are made and the host company still doesn't do anything about the revenge porn right. posted, then, yeah, I would agree that the the, the, the social media platform is uh, is legally liable. But as you know, Europe is really cranking down on a lot of rules requiring internet companies to have more procedures to take down illicit content. Here in the U.S., it's been really, really hands-off. I mean, we talk about yeah. freedom of speech a lot, and 
yeah, I've been a big fan of the debate. Again, I've been furious hearing people talk about censorship on Twitter when that's that's the purview of the government. But this goes a bit yeah. deeper than just common censorship. What can you tell us, Professor, about um, the Communications Decency Act? I, I had never heard of this before, much less Section 230 of it. But I, I know that newspapers and magazines can be sued over what they publish. Doesn't Section 230 kind of protect like the Twitters and the Facebooks from lawsuits over almost anything people might post? Yeah, in an extreme way. And that's that, that first set of cases. That, that's really what it's going to be about. So if I, you know, take out an ad in the newspaper um, urging the death of, a, you know, private citizen or, or really the death of anyone, I, you know, I'm not just liable for that. The newspaper is liable for printing this crazy thing. Now, you would think that common sense would say that Internet companies should be liable for, for you know, similar incitement to violence that they, especially when they know that a direct result might be, might be death. And, but yet that's what happened. I mean, specifically the case at issue is about YouTube. And YouTube, um, you know, n not just allowed, but the charges promoted videos inciting Islamic terrorism and, and the uh, person bringing the case, the family, uh, had a family member who was killed in Paris in, in, mm -hmm. in one of these attacks, as a mm -hmm. the claim is, as a direct result of the video. But by, by so, an ISIS member, right? This was, this was the, the Islamic State killing in Paris? Right, exactly. Okay. The case is called Gonzalez versus uh, Google. And, you know, to, to my mind, the idea that, they, that the company would be completely immune, this one of the wealthiest, most powerful companies in the world, Google, from having any responsibility here, that's a direct result from Section 230, this thing that was meant to protect companies in their infancy. And so right. I think actually here, let's not protect Google in that way. Let's allow the lawsuit to go through. And that's, I think... You know, of course, I'm about as huge a proponent of free speech as you can get. But when it comes to incitement of violence, we're in Absolutely. the world. No, that's that's the line. What what about the other case, Twitter versus Tomne? Is that a similar case in terms of it's very similar supporting yeah, terrorism? Basically the same. This, the courts put these uh, taking these two cases that are really about the same issue, and um, also a, a terrorism case, also about violence that and again the claim you know is pretty serious not just that they didn't take down violent content but that they the algorithms either intentionally or through negligence promote this content when people want to see it and, and that resulted in in real violence so they're yeah. both both of those cases are about to my mind the idea that we've got to allow for for these companies to be sued not to protect them in the way they really Right. Uh, social media era did. And, and we've got to uh, see, you know, part of the claim, too, is we've already got laws on the books holding people, companies responsible when they promote terrorism. And what do you do when that clashes with the Section 230? And I actually think the common sense thing to say is you allow these lawsuits to go through. You allow these aggrieved families to get justice and to make their right. arguments in court. By the way, this is just about immunity. It's just about whether you can sue. They still have to prove their case. And I think give them the chance. But like, is there, is there a chance that they could prevail and somehow Section 230 could be revealed because could be repealed? I mean, because I don't imagine any company would ever operate a site where they could be held liable based on user activity. These these places are, are publishers. I mean, yeah. they have the right to control content. But, you know, we should be able to sue them for libel if their content hurts anybody. 
I think it's not quite repeal. That's not, not what the direct result would be. It's something less. It's not nothing, but it's something less. It's that when these companies violated the law in any ordinary sense, for instance, by being negligent when it came to incitement of violence, they would no longer be protected. There wouldn't be an absolute protection under mm. Section 230. So there would be some some limit to it. And again, I think that's you know, a common sense way to put it. And, you know, when it comes to can they afford it, I think, you know, we're talking about a near trillion dollar company. They they invest very little in uh, content policing and looking right. at the algorithms, what they're promoting. Let them spend, you know. Yeah, maybe it would be $100 million and that's what it would cost them. But I think that's worth the preservation of of decency, you know, this this isn't the issue before the court, but I mentioned revenge porn, and I think that is a related issue. They've, it is. they've argued they have a, you know, a blanket immunity from their liability for allowing this stuff up, uh, and this is, you know, of course, instances in which people try to get back at former lovers by hmm. posting um, what was supposed to be private content uh, right. to those websites. But I think um, that. <clears throat> Uh, that, um, you know, we have to see uh, that in that case, too, this is an extreme instance, not of protected speech, but of of um, of harm. And these companies have yeah. to be held to account. And we just haven't done that in the past. Well, uh, can I ask a couple more dumb questions about this, Corey? Because I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I mean, complicated, but important. <laughs> well, like whenever I hear, like, say, Florida politicians talking about how we have to protect citizens' right to information. Whenever I hear that from conservative politics, protect the citizens' right to information, that always sounds like protect their right to hear bullshit misinformation. I mean, I'm just a bit cynical about it, but I, I, I never buy it when I hear it. Is it, is it still fair to say that the, the First Amendment protects free speech from government regulation, but it doesn't say anything about non-government actors. This this really isn't a First Amendment issue, is it? Well, I think, you know, basically what's happened is that because of, of the Communications Decency Act, because of Section 230, government ha- has evolved itself in a way that is fundamental. And so the question is, how is this going to, how is this going to turn out? And, you know, I, I guess I would say, too, the other place where government is trying to intervene, and this is another set of cases, is mm-hmm. about uh, instances in which Texas and Florida are trying to say, hey, when it comes to the right of these companies to decide we're going to kick off extremists, we're not going to allow that anymore. And I think that's right. an interesting, you know, separate issue that's related, but... That's where right. all of a sudden government is starting to get involved, I think, in what's rightly called censorship. Yeah, well, I, I do think we need to keep our eyes on how Europe goes about this, because Twitter was just sued this week for repeatedly failing to to moderate anti-Semitic posts that had already been reported. And I, I know that they've had, you know, a lot of layoffs over there, uh, and there's not a lot of content moderation, but Europe seems to be way ahead of us at I mean, protecting uh, marginalized peoples and regulating these guys than the U.S. government is. I think so. I mean, you know, my worry in the in the context of Europe is they really aren't protective enough of free speech. And so one worry is, you know, once you open the doorway, then all of a sudden there's a worry or an argument that government can basically do anything. And so I think the real to my mind, 
we could look to other areas of law where there has been protection for individuals, limits on speech when it comes to incitement of violence, but that mm-hmm. we still have a very broad idea of the kind of free speech that's protected. And You're right. that's what I, I'd, I'd like to see the court try to, to work out. Now, what they're actually going to do, I think it's going to be very different. I'm really worried. You know, we have an extremist. We've been talking about what's sensible, but we have an extremist, not a sensible Supreme Court. And they very well could wind up um, could wind up doing something completely different, which is uh, <laughs> allowing these laws to go through that that demand the yes. um, the protection of the extreme right. Because as much as this court talks about its ideals of free speech, it's really concerned about protecting unfortunately, the right wing of this country more often than not. We are at 866-997-4748 and want to know your thoughts. Um, let, let me shift to just slightly, Corey, a few inches with, the, with a topic we might disagree on. Uh, as you know by now, um, Facebook's parent company Meta said yesterday they're going to restore Donald Trump's accounts after two years. Uh, when they suspended him after the terrorist attack on January 6th. There's been a lot of controversy about it back and forth um, as it pertains to free speech. You know, Frank Conniff got thrown off Facebook permanently, but somehow Donald Trump gets to go back on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I, kind of feel like, well, why don't they let him? I mean, God knows Merrick Garland's not indicting him for anything. So he's a private citizen who's, you know, hasn't been charged with any crimes. He's done his time in Facebook jail, paid his debt. Why can't he come back on? I mean, I think when you look back at the original opinion and this, you know, supposed Facebook Supreme Court, remember way back, we talked about this, they, they had a, a separate panel, independent panel that was supposed to make judgments about this, that um, what, what, what I think was going on there is that they identified instances in which Trump, and this relates really directly to the larger conversation that we're having, where he was inciting violence. And January 6th is the extreme example, but he had done it before. He'd done it during the campaign, remember, um, uh, in person when he had, he, he had said, you know, get him out of here, but don't that's hurt right. him. And they had documented other instances of social media posts that were similar. So I think that's the argument, that this guy incited an insurrection. And even if he wasn't found guilty of that in a court of law, a private media company, this goes back to what you were saying in the very beginning, has right. the ability to set its own standards and especially to protect us from uh, from from those who would incite violence. And Trump did that in a way that didn't just threaten a few individuals, but threatened the stability of the country. So, yeah, I, I, I think a, a, a total ban is hmm. what's appropriate. And I, I also, you know, by the way, relationally support all the legal means, including, of course, impeachment. But there are other means as well to try to disqualify him from no, running right. for office again. You're, you're completely right. I just, you know, for me, I, I, I don't know where I come down on it because, mm. <laughs> I mean, I, I just feel like, the, you know, Facebook's in it for the money and Donald Trump's about to run for <laughs> office. I don't think it's a coincidence that the entire uh, ban expires right in time for Donald Trump to start pouring money into Facebook for ads that we will see our racist relatives re- repost all over the place. And, and Donald Trump will make a huge grift again off of the suckers on Facebook. I, I, I kind of feel like morality and law doesn't matter when money's involved, at least in this case. You know, I, I think, too, that we can't hide from the, you know, why are they showing these crazy videos that are inciting violence, inciting 
Islamic terrorism? And the answer is uh, that, that, you know, money. And they're making yeah. money off this, and, and the algorithms it. are designed to, to maximize engagement. And they've got to be stopped. And that's why it's a good thing these lawsuits are happening. But I'd also like to see, I mean, hopefully the... the <laughs> the one of the only areas where there might be bipartisan agreement is that these companies have to be limited, and, and I'd like to see that too. It can also be done through um, regulations, to through administrative action, and so the FCC, for instance, I would love to see them start to regulate these companies uh, mm. much more than they do. Corey, in our final minute, can I just ask uh, your thoughts on Mike Pence also having files as another <laughs> vice president? Can we can we finally call him a rhino because he's going to take away the ability to be hypocrites among the GOP? Actually, what am I talking about? They'll be hypocrites no matter what. I mean, it's geez, a good, the, it's good, the, right? The, I mean, I did see uh, the Fox News correspondent uh, Ducey say to the press secretary, <laughs> you know, what four letter word did you use when he found out that Biden had additional documents? And he does the same about about Pence. It's just you know, amazing that it keeps happening. But I think there's an optimistic spin on this, if I could try, which is, you know, the difference between the Pence case and the Biden case, on the one hand, I think they're very similar. They're acts of mm-hmm. negligence that they allowed these yeah. files there. And intentional <laughs> deception of the federal government, uh, intentional, possibly espionage. I mean, that's what we're trying to find out. We don't know that mm. yet. So it's just an order of magnitude different what's going on. In the Trump case, I mean, that is is truly reckless. Uh, Again, he's being investigated for violating the Espionage Act. That's not happening in the Pence Hmm. or in the Biden case. And so they they are truly different. And this allows us to say it's not just a a partisan bias, that there are two cases of a Democrat and a Republican on one side and one case of a lunatic Republican on the other (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> professor Corey Brettschneider, you are the best. We are honored to have you. Everyone, please follow the professor at C on Twitter, which hasn't been taken away by the government yet, and buy yourself a copy of The Oath in the Office. You will be the smartest kid in class, and you will thank me for pressuring you to buy the book. Corey, thank you for joining us again tonight. Thanks so much, John. And I look forward to talking to you and Fatna Boss about ghosties. Uh, I, I can't wait. We'll be right back on Progress. <laughs> Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang.
As you just heard me talking with our uh, our listener, Dennis, from Arizona, Representative Ruben Gallego announced he is going to run for the Senate in 2024, potentially setting up a challenge with the incumbent Senator Kirsten Sinema, who is now an independent. And this comes amidst a lot of Democratic frustration with Sinema's opposition to everything Democrats were elected to do. She switched her party affiliation just before Christmas from Democrat to independent, even though, like Bernie Sanders, she's counted as part of the Democratic Party's 50 51-seat Senate majority. Now, she hasn't even said if she's going to run for re-election or not, but a three-way general election with Gallego, and we don't know who the Republican's going to be, could make this thing crazy bad. It's already going to be one of the most high-profile races in the country. I am so pleased to welcome back to the show Dr. Jason Nichols. He's an award-winning full-time senior lecturer in the African-American Studies Department at the University of Maryland College Park. You may have seen Jason in The Guardian, Al Jazeera, Fox News, NBC, Newsmax, all the big ones. It's great to see you, doctor. Welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me, John. Thank you, sir. I mean, I'm dying to know what your take is on this. I, I, everyone I talk to is equally terrified and baffled as to how this thing could play out, presuming there's a Democratic nominee, a Republican nominee. And if Kirsten Sinema decides to just take all that money from Mitch McConnell's friends, I can easily yes. see a scenario where she'd be willing to tank the whole race and go off and counter money when it's done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be I, I, well, one thing that, in my opinion, is for sure. Um, and that is that Kirsten Cinema will not be a senator in 2025. Um, like that, that's pretty much over, you know. Thank you. Um, I think you're right. But it, it could it could cost Democrats. We have to remember that Democrats are defending more uh, seats in the Senate um, than Republicans. So it's a dangerous time, and Democrats need every single Senate seat, particularly because we don't know what's going to happen with the White House. I mean, I'm that's right. I'm praying that, you know, Joe Biden, I'm thinking he's going to run again. I think it, it's it's interesting because I think Joe Biden has accomplished so much as president. And, I, and I'm not that's a big right. Biden guy. I think you know that. Same. But, same. I mean, he, same he has accomplished. I mean, you know, all it's of insane. the economic numbers that are honestly getting buried under all these, you know, classified documents. You know? yeah. I mean, you, you look at the fact that, um, you know, it came out, the Wall Street Journal just said that uh, you had uh, wage growth was enormous for low income workers and black workers, that it was 7.4 percent, which outpaced inflation. You know, you would you would have heard that nonstop under Trump if that happened. Nonstop. Uh, and but it's it also astonishing good. that it's astonishing that this comes after the first president in nine decades to leave office losing more jobs than he created. And yet this Joe Biden, age 80 with a stutter, is getting yeah. shit done. I mean, it's totally. it's astonishing. I mean, the, the policies that he's gotten, uh, you know, the, the legislative wins, you know, have racked up. Uh, the economy is still growing and outpacing all of the the uh, speculators saying, oh, it's it's going to be this it's going to be that, you know, quarter four. It was two point nine percent, which, you know, was bigger than anybody expected, uh, you know, lowest unemployment in 53 years, 750,000 uh, manufacturing mm. jobs, 11 million jobs in two years. It's a really good record. And, you know, you would think Democrats would have an easy road in the Senate under those conditions, but they don't. And 
if you believe the economists out there, we're headed towards a, a, a difficult, a more difficult economic outlook in you know the coming months. And right. with that, you know, and this three-way race in Arizona, and you know, I know people say I, I think Doug Ducey would have a, a, a much easier road, but Carrie Lake could come in and win that. I mean, she is a really charismatic, talented politician. Say what you want yeah. about her policies and the fact that yeah. she's a nutcase. The fact is, you know, when when you and I, who are political analysts, look at her, we see talent. She's, she's oh, I've met I've, I've met her. I I totally understand the secret of her appeal. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so uh, you know, and she lost that race narrowly, very narrowly. So. I like Ruben Gallego. I think Ruben Gallego is a fighter. I think Ruben Gallego head up with Carrie Lake is an easy win. I think it's a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. I think Ruben Gallego, even against Doug Ducey, is a, is a win. Um, I think you're right. I think, but I think with Kirsten Cinema in there taking some of those independent votes, some of those, you know, moneyed, centrist, blue dog votes away from uh, from Ruben Gallego, because she's, she's not going to take anything from Carrie Lake, I promise you. Um, Probably not, except maybe some donor dollars, but but that's about it. L- let me put yeah. my craziest hypothetical to you, sir. What if Kirsten Cinema decides that she just wants to stay in Congress? What if she decides that she'd rather go on enjoying all the perks of being a senator and have another term rather than just get a lot of money from Mitch McConnell's donor friends? What if she decides to start legislating like a progressive and get people at home excited and help protect voting rights. And I'm just saying hypothetically, if she did, if she could somehow ignite the progressive base of the Arizona party and remind people where they like her in the first place, I have something invested in this because I put her on TV when she was running for Congress. And so I've always felt a little bit responsible. Um, But (laughs) but what if I, I mean, that's the only avenue I can see where she gets to keep that Senate pension. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that uh, progressives in Arizona will be fooled by that one bit. Yeah, um, I think right. it's that that little curtsy with the thumbs down is too iconic. <laughs> you know, it's an iconic moment. It's in all of our memories. It's not going away anytime soon. Uh, I think right. also um, with Ruben Gallego's voice out there saying, no, this is who she is, and her going to Davos, but never holding a town hall in Arizona, her being That's more right. interested in speaking to the wealthy, you know, mega wealthy people who like to, you know, go Preach. skiing in Davos, and and yep. yet not speaking to the working class people in Tucson, or the middle class people in Phoenix, or even the upper middle class people in Scottsdale, <laughs> like, like people aren't going to rem- aren't going to forget that. And I think it's going to hurt her in Arizona. She's polling at like 19 percent and, you know, among Democrats in Arizona. Uh, I that think it high, huh? Lower than that. Yeah. So 19 percent sounds a bit generous among Democrats in Arizona. Maybe that's Democrats who don't have access to TV or newspapers. Um, right. You know, as scared as I am about Arizona, because we know in 2024 and the media is already writing the obituaries for the Democratic Party like they did in 2022. But I believe the right. Democratic Senate is going to be defending 24 seats and the GOP is only going to be defending, I think, 11 vulnerable incumbents. So the race is on. It's very scary. And as scary as that race is, I want to drag your attention over to California, because there it seems like we're on the verge of an embarrassment of riches. It's a pretty safe district. And one of the incumbents who's up for reelection is Dianne Feinstein, who is as of now 387 years old, the oldest sitting (laughs) set, the oldest person on earth. And um, a lot of people think or hope she's going to retire ahead of 2024. So we've already heard Katie Porter, 
who's declared her candidacy for the seat, and she's dazzling. I want her to be president. Uh, Barbara Lee, who is a true leader, the only member of Congress to vote against the 2001 authorization for use of military force after 9-11. She's going to run. And now the guy I was kind of hoping would somehow uh, replace Merrick Garland, uh, Adam Schiff, is entering the fray for the seat as well. Uh, he put out an announcement video and he just you know, went after Trump and did the stuff we know uh, we know he's good at. What is your take on this, especially considering the fact that um, Feinstein has announced she won't even make an announcement until the end of next year? Well, you know, when you said Feinstein was the oldest person on Earth, I I saw uh, I think I saw Chuck Grassley enter the chat. Oh, Um, sorry. Yes, sorry. Well, the oldest person that doesn't drink the blood of infants to stay alive. I mean, I should qualify it that way because, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, you know, um, first of all. I'm just hoping that she bows out gracefully and doesn't try to run again. Number one, she'll get embarrassed because yes. they'll all beat her, you know, each oh, yeah. and every one of them. Um, yeah. I, I Again, I have an affinity for, for Barbara Lee. I was against the war uh, early too. on. I was, you know, just out of college and I was, you know, my friends were going over there. Uh, and now my friends are back with, you know, with PTSD and, and all of those yep. issues. So, um, you know, I... I definitely uh, have a have a real affinity for her. When she was supposed to be um, running for leadership in the Democratic Party, I was kind of disappointed at the time. Uh, I think he's great now, but when she uh, got beaten by Hakeem Jeffries, I was I was yes. disappointed because I was like, I remember that Hakeem Jeffries is not more progressive than Barbara Lee. Um, he is not, and it just seems like Barbara Lee is probably going to get passed over again, um, but. I like Katie Porter enough, you know, a, a whole lot. So, I mean, Katie Me Porter, she if she beats Barbara Lee, I'll be okay with that. Uh, Adam Schiff is a, is a big name. Um, I, to be honest, beyond his going after Donald Trump, I don't know a lot about Adam Schiff. To be, that's, you know, to, to be 100%. Like, I know all about his, his Trump opposition. But sure, beyond right. that... I, he, I don't know Fair. as much about him like I know about Katie Porter and Barbara Lee. So I, I'd probably put them ahead of Adam Schiff, even though he's a bigger name. He's a household name and he's definitely not back down to Donald Trump one iota. All three of them are good. Um, I, I would probably put the, the two women at the at the top and then put Adam Schiff mm-hmm. second and Diane Feinstein. I'd put her. Uh, at about the position of her age, so like 89th. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, there hasn't really been any suspense in a California Senate primary in 30 years. I don't know if you remember 92 when it was Feinstein and Barbara Boxer and, and they were both elected and everyone called it the year of the woman. And now Feinstein has said she won't even make a choice until 2024 begins. But according to state rules, she has to announce if she's going to have a candidacy by the end of next year. I'm with you. I think that she's going to be retiring. But I'll tell you, Katie Porter is so amazing at fighting corporations and special interest greed. And Barbara Lee is such a true progressive that I can see her, you know, really doing a a Bernie style campaign of electrifying people with her message uh, and then being drowned out by corporate donor dollars. And, And again, I'm still hoping that Schiff gets the attorney general job if Merrick Garland has to, you know, take a sabbatical. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's a great uh, outcome. Uh, and, you know, Katie Porter, uh, I appreciate her as a teacher. 
I love yes, the, you know, the whiteboard thing. You know, that's that's something that, you know, I, I definitely I mean, I, I'm totally fanboyed over uh, over Katie Porter for that. And I think she'd make an, an incredible senator. And, um, you know, Barbara Lee is Barbara Lee. Barbara Lee is iconic. Barbara Lee has been She's progressive amazing. before it was cool to be progressive. Um, and she deserves she deserves a higher position. She deserves more respect, I think, from the Democratic Party than she gets and that oh, she's please. gotten throughout her career. Yeah, but that but, you know, what always happens with the true progressives in Congress? I mean, going back to like Henry Wallace is Roosevelt's VP and he was forced out by the moderates. If he had been if Henry Wallace had stayed Roosevelt's VP in 44, we would have had our most liberal president in history. But they find a way of marginalizing the thought leaders. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I listened to um, your one of your other guests and, you know, this is a quote that you you don't even hear. And it's not even a, a sharply political one, but let no man pull you so low as to hate him, um, you know, about. And that came Booker from T. Washington, right? Booker What's T. Washington. That? Was that Booker T. Washington? No, who that's said Dr. That? King. That was Dr. King. OK, you're right. Dr. King. Yeah. You know, yeah. a true Christian there said, let no man pull you so low as to hate him. So I think that's really important. I, and I sometimes have to remind myself when I get upset and be like, I'm upset at the policy. I hate the policy. I hate oppression, but I don't I don't hate people or individuals or or groups, even groups of people or anything like that. You that's, know, you have that's, to. Yeah. You know, how, how do you do it? Because that's what I tell myself about 45 times a day. Um, but it's hard. Like one of the rules I found in comedy, especially doing political comedy, is um, outrage is good for comedy. Anger is comedy death. Right. No one wants you. You, you could be pissed off about something you could be outraged. But if you get mad, it's not going to be funny. People don't want to see it. And it's really the same in politics. We saw how Barack Obama had to contain his anger for eight years straight. And we know that only white men or white women are allowed to ever show anger. And even white women have a hard time doing it. I mean, how do you separate the two? I, I, I when I when I find myself uh, having a seething contempt for a troll or a, or a politician or I don't know, Donald Trump Jr. I mean, it might feel like the right thing to do, but I don't like how it feels. And I always know and I see it happen to good progressives every day. The hate will make you say stupid stuff. How do you manage? I mean, how do you regulate your outrage with so many trifling fools and fascists? Well, I, as you said, I don't, I don't think we need to regulate our outrage. We should show that we're outraged. We should not become numb to oppression. We should not become right numb to any of that. We we need to, you know, I, I, I know even with, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm, you know, following the everything that's going on in Memphis with, with Tyree Nichols, no relation, mm -hmm. um, you know, I want to feel that frustration and anger and not be well it's just another name it's it's just another name on a long list of of names i don't want to become numb to that because yeah same. then you start to normalize it and then you start to look past it and then we you know it just becomes status quo and i think that's yeah. that's never how we should be however i definitely think you know being angry at individuals you know is how systems get away you know when you start thinking about oh 
this individual did this or this individual is, is a bad person or anything like that. That's how yeah. you start. Just like when people would say Trump is not, um, you know, he's not the cause. He's just a, a symptom of, of yeah. a larger issue that we have in our country. We need yeah. to look at it that way. And we should be outraged mostly and, and even angry. I, th I think anger is OK. We should be angry at, you know, homophobia and racism and and sexism and anti-trans stuff and you know we sh we should be that way but you know the individual is just a conduit for the system and when you start making it just like i always tell my students i always say there's individual racism somebody calls me the n-word on you know right. on a voicemail and then right. there's systemic things that actually claim lives over and over again systemic right. issues in healthcare, in the environment those are the things we should really be focused on but the system tricks us to think that all racism is individual is you know it's so true it's so true so we yeah. have to really focus on the systemic issues and you know trolls are trolls they want to provoke you that's the whole thing that's they it. want john fugel saying to be angry and i and know frustrated you know if yeah oh they, they don't want you to have a good day <laughs> you know what i mean so I know. Them, I mean, we, I tell this to everyone. There are people on the Internet. There are coward child men who go on the Internet and hide their name and faces because they are unmanly cowards. And they do it because they want to hide their identity and hurt people. And you don't have to play with kids like that. I, I say this all the time. And then I violate it and get into fights with these idiots. Um, but you, you mentioned Tyree Nichols. And I, I would be most remiss if I didn't ask you about it. The five police who allegedly beat and murdered him have all been fired. They've all been charged with murder. We're going to see the video apparently tomorrow. And how bad must this video be that Memphis has tried so hard to not release it? Um, but I think, you know, by 6 p.m. tomorrow when it's released and, you know, they're terrified of any kind of civil unrest. In this case, it's very interesting. We're seeing all five cops were fired uh, and been charged with murder. And suddenly, uh, because all five cops are black, I'm not hearing the Blue Lives Matter folks all that much rush to their defense. I'm dying to know what your thoughts are on this whole horrible mess. Well, so that I think that's that's an interesting thing that you said. Um, number one. I knew that this was really, really, really bad when I first read about it, because I read the statement from the union and the union didn't back them. And that's when I was like, this is bad because unions when the back union cops, doesn't back everybody. cops. I mean, yeah. like, but 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 people forget the Derek Chauvin trial is the first time I think in American history that a chief of police testified against one of his own cops in a court trial. I'm sorry. Right. Go ahead, doctor. Yeah, no, I, I think it's and, you know, there's research that shows that it's not video that gets police officers convicted. So this 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 video is not what's this is why I've been telling people, OK, they've been arrested, they've been charged. You don't have to necessarily watch the video because it is I don't like the word triggering, but right. it, it is something that can cause symptoms of, of post-traumatic stress. It's been proven. Sure. Um, you know, there's a there's a sociological phenomenon called linked fate, where particularly African-Americans, when we see African-Americans, other African-Americans being killed um, by the state, you yes. know, we put ourselves and our family members and our loved ones in that position. And it, and it causes post-traumatic stress. So I don't think 
um, you need to watch the video. You know, if, if you're particularly if you're a black person, I would say, you know, you know your own mental state. You can actually skip that. But I agree. But I, I, we know everyone's going to watch it. Yeah, we know everyone's going to watch it. And um, I again, I, I knew that this was going to be really egregious because of how the union uh, didn't step up and say, well, you know, let's wait for the facts to come out. You know, they didn't do any of that song and dance. Uh, they didn't say these guys were being persecuted. They were completely hands off. And now one could argue maybe that is uh -huh. because these five guys are uh, five uh, gentlemen are black. You That's know, right. Uh, That's what I would argue. Yeah, I mean, it, it could very well be that or it could very well be just that bad. And again, this is something that we've been saying for a long time that, you know, those of us who, who have been engaged in, in talking about state sponsored violence um, against, you know, Afro, you know, black citizens, men and women and, and non-binary people. One of the things that we've been saying is the issue is systemic. This is not about the narrative that the media loves to build, including the quote unquote liberal media, where they're saying it's white cop, black individual. Yeah. It's white supremacist system <laughs> gets black individuals. It, yeah. It's not even and sometimes it gets white individuals every now and again, you yeah, know, yeah, every now and then I got yeah, a brother they, in California with long hair and a truck and he gets pulled over every day. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, what was it? Daniel Shavers, I want to say his name was mm -hmm. uh, a guy who got shot. You know, a cop brought his own AR-15. Wasn't wasn't, you know, from his job. He brought his own AR-15. The guy was allegedly making noise in a hotel room and he made right. him crawl toward him with his hands up, which, of course, is very under stress is very difficult. And then he shot him with an AR-15 and, mm. and that police officer got away with it. Um, yeah. And so, again, this is a systemic issue. We need systemic reforms. This is not about individuals. This is not about individual bias. No one, you know, I, I don't know if Derek Chauvin hated black people. Maybe he did. I, you know, I, I don't know, but I don't think that's the issue. Yeah. Um, I think the issue is much larger than that. And we're seeing it. We saw it in Baltimore with Freddie, with Freddie Gray. Half of those cops mm -hmm. were black. You know, You're right. it was like You're right. cops, three of them were black, you know. So now we have five black police officers um, who did this to a young black man and didn't even render aid. So, no. you know, at the end of the day, it is about the value of a black life. And one of the things that white supremacy does is it makes all of us, including black people devalue black lives. Dr. Jason Nichols, it's always a pleasure having you come and class the place up. Thanks for staying up so late with us. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you in your work? Well, you can definitely follow me on Twitter um, at Dr. Jason Nichols at D-R-J-S-O-N-N-I-C-H-O-L-S. Um, and you can find me on Facebook, Jason Nichols, Ph.D., or uh, you could just keep a lookout for, you know, me writing or you can be hopefully I'll be on here every week. On right TV. on that. As long as you're will, as long as you're still talking to us, we're going to be grateful to have you. Thank you so much. Have a great, great evening and a great weekend. We got to hit a break. We'll be right back. It'll be a full hour with your calls. This is progress. OK, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome back to Series XM Progress. Here's a sad story. Well-known conservative activist in Arlington, Texas, Kelly Cannon who pushed a lot of COVID-19 vaccine misinformation over the years, told people how terrible it was, told people how the vaccine would kill you. She announced in Facebook in November that her employer gave her a religious exemption for the COVID-19 vaccine. She wrote, no jabby jabby for me. Praise God. Ms. Cannon was very prominent in Republican circles for uh, grassroots organizing. Uh, She tried to ban red light cameras in Arlington. And you might have heard of her. In 2017, she became a little famous because she went public about some sexually explicit pictures that had been sent to her by former Republican Congressman Joe Barton. That that scandal led to Joe Barton stepping down. But in the recent years, Ms. Cannon was uh, just a ferocious critic of COVID-19 vaccine mandates, any kind of pandemic-related restrictions. She was posting about going to a COVID symposium, where she was trying to discourage people from getting the COVID-19 vaccine because she said it was killing children. Have you guessed yet how this story ends? Um, Kelly Cannon died uh, just a few weeks after attending a symposium against the shot of COVID-19. Her death was from COVID-related pneumonia. I, I take no satisfaction in it. I take no schadenfreude in it. It's deeply sad because it's so preventable. You know, it's sad that she's dead, and it's sad that she believed people like Donald Trump, who got the damn vaccine and a booster, and yet these people still worship him. (sighs) Rest in peace. Um, You know, we already said Adam Schiff is entering the fray for the seat of Dianne Feinstein, who is the oldest sitting senator, 89 now. A lot of people are thinking or hoping she will retire before 2024. But um, he put out a video uh, putting most of his focus on, um, well, uh, smacking down the Republicans for threatening our democracy and uh, calling Donald Trump what he is. Here's a quick listen. This is Congressman Adam Schiff announcing he, too, will run for the Senate in 2024. 
I've always believed that what's right matters, that the truth matters, and that decency matters. And when a dangerous demagogue tried to undermine our democracy, I wasn't about to let him. You can't trust this president to do the right thing, not for one minute, not for one election, not for the sake of our country. Adam Schiff is a corrupt politician. Adam Schiff is a modern-day Joe McCarthy. Little pencil neck. A national disgrace. He is unfit to hold office. This is the story of how I got here. Growing up in the Bay Area, my parents taught me that public service was a noble calling. That belief brought me to Los Angeles, where I took on some of the toughest cases as an assistant U.S. attorney. I prosecuted a corrupt FBI agent turned Russian spy and created the first environmental crimes unit to go after major polluters. I found meaning outside the courtroom by becoming a big brother to seven-year-old David, who went on to graduate from Yale via groomsmen at my wedding and is a permanent part of my family. I married Eve, the love of my life, and raised two great kids. I went to Congress where we passed health care for millions over ferocious GOP opposition. Then I took on the biggest job of my life, impeaching Donald J. Trump. Adam Schiff did masterfully an incredible yeah. job. I found it very powerful. We have proven Donald Trump guilty. Now do impartial justice and convict him. After all that, I wish I could say the threat of MAGA extremists is over. It is not. Today's Republican Party is gutting the middle class, threatening our democracy. They aren't going to stop. We have to stop them. That's why I'm running for the U.S. Senate. The struggle isn't over. Not for me, not for you, not for our country. Together we can and will win this fight. But I need your help. Donate at AdamSchiff.com. Paid for by little Adam Schiff. Little shifty, shifty Adam Schiff pencil neck. Why, why, it, here's my thing. Donald Trump, you know what? Why would he call Adam Schiff a pencil neck? When your own neck, I can't even say it. I can't even say it. I can't, I can't say it. When your own neck looks like Barbara Bush's vagina, don't, don't draw attention by making fun of someone else's neck. Okay? And I'm sorry I had to give that imagery to all of you, but I'm sorry. Have you watched Donald Trump lately wearing a suit with a collar? It, 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 you don't. You, in fact, just did, for, bleach your brain. Forget what you just heard me say. Um, I like Adam Schiff. And full disclosure, if y'all listen to the show, you know he's joined us on stage before. He's a swell guy. He once quoted my bit, What the Fuck Fatigue, on a show in Hollywood. And, you know, he, he's been a real hero in the House. And you can hear from that. He's going to use his campaigning against Donald Trump to campaign for the Senate seat. But it's already getting crowded. I mean, Katie Porter has already declared her candidacy. We know that Barbara Lee, a real longtime liberal leader who was, again, the only member of Congress to vote against the 2001 authorization for use of military force after the attacks of 9-11. I mean, and Katie Porter, who is just such a hero, the way she goes after special interests and corporations, it's going to be quite an interesting race. And it's going to be extremely competitive. Now, Feinstein has said that she's not going to reveal whether she's running or not until the year 2024. The only problem with that is the um, primary in California begins in March. And so she has to make a decision at the latest by December of this year. And no one knows what Senator Feinstein's going to do. But for Schiff, you know, he just lost his gig. This announcement came two days after McCarthy formally removed him as the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee. And he's already using that to juice up his fundraising 
and his anti-Trump bona fides. It's going to be fascinating, and we are glad to be here with you to show the Dems in array, while the Republicans, well, (laughs) you know. We'll see you next time. Have a great night. This is Progress.